This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego. Providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Woolsey. Just about 8.01 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, your investments, the economy, and all those important things to help you build your net worth. And with me, almost as always, is a Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Uh, real quick, I did not get to ask you this morning walking in. Uh, last night, Poway played Westview. <laughs> How'd you guys do? Oh, it was bad. It was uh, 42 to nothing midway through the second quarter. Uh, we won. You won. Okay. I was yeah. like, well, who, who had the 42? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, well, well, congratulations on the win there. Yeah. Um, also, too, before we get to the numbers. Uh, and what happened last week, uh, do I mention this is now October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah. I know you have the Fighters Fight Foundation for Breast Cancer. Got anything special going on there? Oh, yeah. It was kind of cool, too, speaking of the, the football game, as it was breast cancer, the breast cancer game. So all the kids were oh, wow. in pink and it, uh, all the stands were in pink. So it, it was a, a cool experience there, especially with the, the charity. Um, but, you know, it, it is just such an important topic that uh, a lot of people don't realize, I guess, how much this month means to like people like myself that that actually lost somebody to breast cancer because it, it, it's more about raising the awareness of to create women to say well i gotta go get my mammogram i gotta make sure right. i'm checking to make sure i have it because a lot of people don't realize that I, I mean one in eight women in the united states will develop breast cancer in their lifetime i mean wow. it's a huge huge number that's a, that's a big number yeah yeah and i mean in 2021 an estimated 281,550 new cases of of invasive breast cancer will be diagnosed in women just in the United States, as well as 49,290 new cases of non-invasive breast cancer will be developed as well. But the reason, as I said, it's so important to have this month to make sure women are getting their mammograms. And this is something my aunt was so on top of trying to educate women, say, go get your mammogram, because right. if you catch it early, if 63% of breast cancer cases are diagnosed at the localized stage, which means there's no sign of the cancer spread outside of the breast, the five-year survival rate is 99%. That's huge. So if you're yeah. able to catch it early, you can really, really make a big impact and, again, really reduce the danger of breast cancer. So that's what this month means to you know people like myself, people that have kind of seen the, the, the downside of breast cancer, is educating people about getting a mammogram. Make sure you're checking for that breast cancer because you can really have a— you know, a big impact and save a woman's life right. if you're able to catch it quite early. So I know you did your golf tournament last month uh, for October. You have any you know promotions going on for donations? I know you've done t-shirts and stuff. So yeah, so that, that's that's a big thing we're doing this month is we we are having a t-shirt competition, which means that if you actually post a picture on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, wearing a Fighters Fight Foundation t-shirt and tag our charity on those social media platforms. Uh, your name will be entered into a drawing for a $100 gift card. Ooh. Gift card includes, uh, it's a San Diego restaurant gift card. So it's right. places like Sammy's. I know we love to go to Sammy's, yep. OG's, uh, Blue Capri, uh, Pacifica Del Mar. So there's a lot of different options there. And uh, to kind of find out more about that, you can just go to the website, fightersfightfoundation.com. And if you're saying, well, I don't have a t-shirt, well, that's where you get the t-shirt. Right. Again, it's fighters fight. <laughs> 
foundation.com. So this is an important topic. Good, good. Yeah, and actually, sorry, while we're on it, is, uh, it, it I got a little choked up last night because it, it was actually my aunt's, would have been my aunt's 53rd birthday yesterday. Wow. So wow. just kind of a whirlwind of emotions yeah. last night. And I was telling the players before the game, and I, I got a little choked up. A little, so a little teary-eyed there. Huh? Well, yeah. You know, but it, again, it means a lot to you, and that's why you did the foundation to help out other people to uh, make their lives a little bit easier uh, That when they get bre- breast cancer there. Yep. So uh, congratulations on that. And again, fightersfightfoundation.com. Pretty easy to remember. Yeah. Pretty easy to remember, yeah. yeah. So, Well, let's talk about uh, last week in the, in the markets here because uh, we had a retail sales came out, and retail sales number produced a major surprise to the upside as spending by the consumer continues to remain strong. Retail sales in September climbed uh, 0.7% compared to August and easily topped the ex- expectation of a 0.2% decline. And compared to September 2020, while well, sales are up 13.9%, some areas that stood out in the report uh, included food service, drinking places. They saw a climb of 29.5% compared to last September, and gas stations saw a climb of 38.2%. Also, compared to last year. Uh, no surprise there. <laughs> yeah, no one surprised on that one, unfortunately. But uh, another area, too, I found interesting was clothing and clothing accessory stores, as they saw an increase of 22.4% compared to last year. So that, that's quite huge for, for apparel. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times people don't spend a lot on that kind of stuff. So pretty amazing to, to see that that large climb. I do believe this was a result of a strong back-to-school slash back to work shopping sprees people needed to update their wardrobe after a year off from being in person no more wearing sweatpants to zoom meetings you got to put on the (laughs) (laughs) suit nice (laughs) you know a nice uh nice dress if if you're a woman going back to meetings and so forth so uh you know (laughs) i think that's where a lot of the spending came from but i also do wonder with all the news around product shortages if holiday shopping is kind of getting pulled forward compared to prior years, you just want to make sure you're getting those gifts now and not pushing up against deadlines, and all of a sudden they're not on the shelves. So I'd have to say, though, overall, it was a pretty impressive report that shows the consumer is still strong, but it does add inflationary pressure. Well, and this is, uh, what, October 16th, so talking about the holiday season. It'll be here before you know it, uh, unfortunately. Actually, I believe uh, uh, Black Friday is only about five weeks away, believe it or not. But I think we will have a very strong holiday season. And I do believe apparel is going to do very well because I think uh, I've not heard about the shortages as that as much as we have on chips and so forth. So it may not be a great year for electronics. We will see. But I think apparel and you know purses and stuff like that, I think it's going to do very well because I, I believe that the supply for them, uh, at least I've not heard, is, is lacking. Yeah. Yeah. So I I. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, shopping season, to say yep. the least, or a holiday season. With you know, I I, <laughs> I know there's a hashtag going around called like "Empty Shelf Joe" because there's <laughs> nothing on, <laughs> on the shelves right now. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see Black Friday what what that's going to look like this year. Uh, I mean, we know there's uh, just the supply chain bottlenecks that that's really causing problems, and you know, I, I have a tendency to kind of wait till last minute. To go shopping for for the holidays, I, I I'm thinking about probably getting it done next month rather than waiting until December. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people kind of know what's going on. They could be doing that. Could be a lot of uh, gift cards this year. I wonder if the same way you can profit off of gift cards. I can't think of anything uh, that, uh, but I think they'll they'll be big this year. Yeah, so. yeah. Maybe I'll just go to Costco and get a bunch of those gift cards for Christmas, where you know it's like a hundred dollar gift card for seventy dollars, and it's like 
Oh, yeah, just give out a bunch of those well, for yeah. Christmas. That's the way you credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, well, $100. Thank you so much. <laughs> Although, I get a profit at Costco. I mean, Costco, great company, mm-hmm. but so overpriced. I mean, it's just like... A, oh, in terms of the stock. The uh, stock, yeah, because we like to buy things on sale, and Costco is not on sale uh, as far as the price of their, their company. Gosh, I wish they were. I mean, it's one of my favorite... Co- I went in there, I got this knife set there yesterday, or two days ago, and it's just... I've been waiting to get some knives for yeah. cooking and stuff, and... Yep, there there they are. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. got the best deals. It, it it is great deal. I mean their 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 products are on sale, but their stock is not. On yeah, sale. exactly. <laughs> I wish the stock was a deal. Well, let's talk about the Jolts report because we love that, and Jolts stands for Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey. Uh, continues to produce extremely strong numbers as the total job opening stood at 10.439 million at the end of August. Now this was down from the record level of 11.098 million at the end of July but it still exceeds a recent number of unemployed people at 7.7 million. I believe the uh, opening numbers will remain strong. I continue to believe it will see a decline in the coming months as the jobs do get filled with people going back to work. Now, another impressive number in the report was the quits rate, which saw a record high of 2.9% as total quits rose to 4.3 million. People, why is that a positive? Well, think about it. This is a sign of strength as people do not quit their job in a weak labor market as they would fear not finding another job. Generally, you say, well, I don't really like this job that much. There's so many jobs out there. I'm going to quit this job and go try and find something else. That is kind of telling of a strong labor market. And and, and it's not good news for an employer because as an employer, it's just like, wait a minute. Uh, They're going to quit on me. I got to be careful. (laughs) You know, so it it is something that's good for the consumer. Uh, Also, too, what that does cause is I think that's part of inflation as well because if you can quit and say, you're not paying me enough, I'll go over here because they're going to pay me more, you start kind of bidding for employees, yeah. which can raise wage inflation because puts more money in people's pocket. You know, when people are concerned like, oh, this whole thing's going to collapse. And, and I'm again, I got to say, I'm not thrilled with what the administration is doing now, but we look at this from the economic side. You're putting more money in the economy. You've got yep. more money in consumers' hands. They're going to spend that. It is a positive for the economy and for uh, companies because yep. it's going to have more sales. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with wage inflation. Um, and generally, that could lead to inflation on the, the back end. As, you know, People, as you said, have more money. Well, that right. means companies can now raise their prices because, well, consumers have more money. Okay, well, I'll increase my prices and it's not going to slow down the consumer. Right. And that's what people are kind of concerned about. And this is where kind of jump back a little bit to the retail sales is concerning for inflation is even with the rising prices, it didn't <clears throat> slow down the consumer whatsoever. So that tells you if con- companies raise prices again, well, is it going to slow down the consumer? That's what's going to lead to inflation. And again, people have more money it's not really hurting them as much because they, oh, well, I can still afford that. I want it, so I'm going to buy right, it. Right. And, and, and I, we'll see if we get a call or two on this today, but uh, I have seen like Macy's and uh, some of your retailers, Kohl's and stuff. I, I believe they're 10, 20% off their 52-week highs. Perhaps maybe now they're a buy because, again, there is more money out there and people yep. could be going back <laughs> through the department stores. And actually, I did see from uh, something from Amazon that Amazon said that, Amazon said that yeah, more people are going out there uh, to the stores and actually, Amazon is opening some brick-and-mortar stores. So, <laughs> Yeah, never would have thought that was going to happen. Know, I know. So, but let's talk about the uh, gas prices uh, just quickly here. we got some great numbers on gas. And again, not great numbers because <laughs> they're going down, but great numbers to let you understand what's going on in California. Uh, we all know in California we pay the highest 
prices in the nation, which includes in Hawaii, which you got to ship the, the oil into Hawaii. We still pay higher than Hawaii does. Uh, here's a breakdown of why uh, and where is that money supposed to go? That's the big question. It's supposed to go to the roads, but I, I just don't think so. Why don't, why don't you give us some numbers here? Chase? Yeah, yeah. And, and here's actually the breakdown of what it looks like. So <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Sure, go ahead. I just remember a, year, a couple years ago, Gavin Newsom launched a task force to figure out why we have the highest gas prices in the country. <laughs> well, it's, here you go. Here's why. Federal. But, but, but wait, I think he said it again now. I, I heard somebody say, yeah, he's he's launching a task force again oh, to find out why God. gas prices are high. But but let's tell us why. Go ahead. Okay. So here, here's why, Gavin. I, I, I can save you the, the cost of a task force. <laughs> Federal gas tax, 18 cents. Huh. Highest gas tax by a state in California of 51 cents. Well, that adds a lot to it. Yeah, yeah. California sales tax, 16 cents. There's a cap and trade fee underground of 14 cents. There's a storage fee of two cents. And we have the highest standards, really, for the refining process. Right. So a low-carbon fuel standard of 23 cents. That adds up to $1.24 based on $4.43 per gallon. So I mean, a quarter of the cost about is coming from taxes and also those those kind of regulations that are stemming from the refining process. I mean, it doesn't take us a, 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 a rocket scientist to figure out why it's expensive. And the thing that bothers me, and I know we're not a political talk show, but I'm going to bring it up, sure. is why in the world do we need to launch a task force, which is costing taxpayers more money yep. to figure out why we have the highest gas prices? How about this? Cut the debt gas tax, yeah. and we'll be in line with other states. But we can't do that because they need money to support all their crazy programs that they have. That's yes. why they do it. And and and, and then, I've, I, you know, we also do our stuff on social media as well. And people are saying, well, wait a minute here. You know, we'll just go buy an electric car. I'm telling people, be careful because I know the government knows this. And they're going to be looking like, okay, how do we get these electric car companies? Now, maybe they do something like when you go charge your car at these charging stations that are popping up. They might say, oh, well, here we go. We're going to charge you, I don't know, 10, 10 cents for every 10 minutes you're there or some number. They, the, the state of California will find ways to tax those electric cars because this is supposed to be for road use, which our roads don't appear Or you could way. see your registration costs go up. Yeah, you have you electric know, cars, so you're going to be double. Or there's been rumors of a mileage tax. How much did you drive this year? Well, that one—that one's going to be a tough one because of privacy. Yeah, you know that. Again, who knows? But, um, uh, but again, the registration thing, and we've we've done the registration as well. Your registration used to just be the yeah. registration of the car. There's, I think, uh, like four other fees on your registration as well when you break those out. So, uh, but again, and we don't see uh, this dropping down. Oh. Uh, unfortunately, I think we will see by the end of the year probably. Uh, gas somewhere around five dollars a gallon when you fill up just regular. Well, the thing too is, uh, you know, uh, talking about electricity is uh, we actually saw the largest increase in electricity prices. I think in gosh, I, I want to say since in, since 2014 last mm -hmm. month, and people don't realize it's like, oh well, you know, if you want to save on you know energy prices, get an electric car, or you know, switch to electricity. A lot of people don't realize that 60 percent of the electricity generation last year stemmed from coal, natural gas, which is not right. cheap right now, and yeah. also petroleum. Petroleum is a very small amount. It's mainly natural gas and coal. Coal's also shot up in prices as well. So that means electricity costs are going to go up. And if companies right now are kind of paying for that electricity, they might now be saying, well, I, I don't know if we can afford that anymore. They're going to have to raise costs, as you said, in yeah. other ways. So 
um, there, there's no real way to avoid energy price spikes. No. And if people think they're doing it by going electric, well, the cost of electricity is going to start climbing here as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, again, the supply-demand issues. You've got the demand there, and supply's not there. All prices go up. Well, yeah. here's the other problem, is if everybody goes to electric, the electric grid is not ready for that. Yeah. So now, talk about supply and demand. Not enough supply, way too much demand on that side. That creates an increase in prices. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'd say be careful of, uh, you know, watch your wallets here with, with the energy costs. Yep, and myself being a car car guy for years, I'll never drive an electric car. I got to drive that gas car. Got to hear that engine. Yeah, and I, w- <laughs> I will say too, uh, you know, one thing that we looked at, uh, we do our, our weekly stock analysis on YouTube, is yeah. we took a closer look at Exxon Mobile because, uh, you know, energy companies could profit off of this, obviously, with rising energy prices. So I uh, highly recommend going to our, our YouTube page there, uh, looking up Smart Investing with Brenton Chase Wilsey. Uh, you can can kind of see take a closer look and see if Exxon is a good value at these prices. Okay. Let's go ahead and put the uh, phone lines as well for questions. You've got a question on a stock. You look at buying, selling, or holding, or general investment question. Uh, lines are open, 866 577 2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, but no opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, we did get a, a, an email from a listener here. Uh, this is from Ronald's in Huntington Beach. It says, thank you for all your amazing stock analysis you have taught me over the years. Your explanations are far better and easier to understand than books I have read uh, that I have interpreted uh, of financial statements. Question, why are the analysts recommending Morgan Stanley when their long-term debt is $208 billion, this is from ValueLine, with a debt-to-equity of 314 from Yahoo Finance and a market cap of $177 billion? I doubt you would recommend MS with such uh, enormous debt on their balance sheet and possible raising rates next year. Am I missing something? Uh, ValueLine gives it a 2 for safety and company financial strength, B++, Y. Well, let's take a look at uh, Morgan Stanley. Their symbol is MS. Uh, one thing when I read uh, read these here, I can't uh, pull up uh, at the same time. So let's take a look at Morgan Stanley and uh, see what they, they look like here. And we'll kind of go through this and analyze. And people, I, 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 some people don't realize that we're actually analysts analyzing this live uh, as we're talking here. So uh, numbers, again, from Morgan Stanley, symbol is MS. We do see they're in the industry of capital markets. And that does kind of surprise me. Uh, only 1.2% on the float. Ownership uh, institutional, 66.7. Now, we do have a good start in the P.E. ratio, 13.5. That's below the industry at 15.2. Price of sales, 3.4. That's above the industry at 3. And price of tangible book value is 2.5 versus 2.7. Now, there's no price to cash flow uh, for Morgan Stanley and no peg ratio going forward. Uh, it is 2.1 for the industry. Now, looking at their earnings growth over the last year, it's 27.5%, but the industry is up 150 over the last five years on their earnings per share growth, 24.7, just slightly under the industry at 25.8. Sales growth, 20.8 versus 54.9. And then uh, for the five-year sales growth, 10.6 versus 11.9. So the earnings and the sales growth for both Morgan Stanley industry look pretty darn good. Uh, They do pay a dividend. 2.7%, 2.7%, nice payout ratio, only 18.3, but it is uh, above the industry at 13.2. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, no current ratio versus 1.4. Debt to equity, as uh, Ronald said here, it's uh, 220% versus 550 for the industry. 
And then we see that we got a profit margin of 26.4 versus 20.2 and return on equity 12.4 versus 13.3. We'll come back to this, but again, talking about the debt to equity, the reason why I believe they have a lot of financing going on, which they carry that uh, kind of like a, a car company, they, they do the financing. Well, well. They're, they're a bank. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're with the, uh, you know, JP Morgan, the Wells Fargo's mm -hmm. when you have to do the, you know, the C car, the stress test, they're part of that. Right. So they have to kind of function as they are a bank. So they an investment bank. Yeah. They're an investment bank. So the way they kind of carry assets and liabilities is a lot different. Like if you're a, I'm just going to use a restaurant. If you go out and you take a loan, well, yeah, that's going to be debt. Right. But the way a financial company functions, the way that they carry the debt looks a little bit different because they're lending many times. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of why it looks skewed. It wouldn't be a turnoff for me, even though it's 220%. Right. But, uh, you know, let's take a look at the numbers to see if there is any other interest in it. To start the current price for Morgan Stanley, $102.14. 52 week high here, $105.95. So right near that. And the 52-week low, $46.55. So done very, very well off the low. Year-to-date, the stock's up about 52%. So it's done very well this year. Now, going forward to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share is $7.41. Would give us a target sell price of $123. So it's above the current level, but it would be in our hold category at this time. And as I said, I wouldn't worry too much about the debt. I would want to take a closer look at it. Gotcha. I don't want to just say it's a financial company, so right. excuse the debt. You want to make sure, is it operational debt where they have all these notes coming due in the next few years? That That's where it's problematic. Yep, yep. So, and I will I, say too, real quick, is on E-Trade, I don't know why they bought E-Trade. Um, I, I don't know either. It, it um, just doesn't seem like it fits as much because Morgan Stanley more, it's kind of like an advisor. Right, right. Where E-Trade, it was kind of more do-it-yourself. Maybe they're trying to, I don't know, get different business lines, but it just seemed like it was a, a different type of acquisition. And, and I know, uh, oh, months ago, we were, we were looking for another custodian, mm -hmm. uh, kind of shopping around a little bit. And I remember talking about E-Trade. E-Trade doesn't have, because we were at, we use Charles Schwab as one of our big custodians. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a lot of the great services that Charles Schwab has. And they go, well, it's because we're kind of owned by Morgan Stanley. Well, then why did you, why did yeah. you buy E-Trade? If they're going to keep up with the, the competition. But yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's costing them, but um, I, I don't get it. And it does kind of hurt because they do have brokers and stuff. So you go to E-Trade, you don't need the brokers. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah, so Ronald, it, it's it's not a buy, a hold at this time. So, uh, but again, keep in mind, it is more of a, a bank. All righty, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Temecula and speak with Bob. Bob, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, now, this is an estate question, and it may be more apropos to uh, your estate uh, 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 person, uh, Harrison. Uh, but the, uh, my question pertains to the uh, uh, Energy Independence uh, Account, uh, the EIA, abbreviated EIA, which was part of the uh, Tax Cuts and Job Act of uh, 2017. And... Uh, uh, I heard a program, and they mentioned that you could, we could use, the, or you could use the EIA, the Energy Independence Account, for Roth conversion. I heard about putting my RMDs, and I'm just started taking or paying RMDs. 
into a uh, EIA uh, for Roth conversions. And uh, it's kind of confusing, at least to me it is. I was wondering if uh, your expert on uh, on, uh, uh, on the state planning might have a uh, uh, have an opinion. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm questioning this, this came out in 2017, as I mentioned, it ends in 2022. But because of this uh, flurry of uh, uh, green energy um, uh, uh, that's hitting the country, it's hitting the uh, politics now, I'm wondering if uh, the EIA is going to continue past uh, 2022. Yeah, and, uh, thank you. Yeah, and you, thank you, you very you, much. Sure, sure. And you, you are correct. That is a, a, a good question for our financial planner, uh, Harrison Johnson. Uh, what I would say you can do, because, again, he, he calls in. He's not here on the show with us is let me give you the phone number. You can ask him that question directly, uh, 858-546-4306. Uh, that's our office phone number. So, you again, give a call there, 858-546-4306. Yeah, I was going to say to Bob, or you can send us an email. Uh, yeah. I, I think you might still have our email, but just in case, it, it's Harrison at com. And uh, kind of send that over because it, it could be, if there's something to it, it might be a great topic for Harrison to yeah. talk about in the coming weeks. So, um, yeah, if you could could call him or, or send him an email and then, uh, you know, he can address that with you, that, that, that'd be fantastic because it, it could be very useful for our listeners as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate everything you have to uh, say, and I learn something from you every week. Uh, so please uh, thank you again very much, and I'll certainly contact uh Hey, Harrison, uh, as soon as I can. Thank you. Okay, Bob. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I think we have a question on Facebook here. Yeah, we, we do. It's a kind of a lengthier one about PPP from uh, Jason. And uh, it says, curious if you have an opinion on how the economy will be affected by all the forgiven PPP loans to all the businesses, even very profitable ones that receive them, where did this money come from? How was all business, including small profitable business with few employees able to receive all this free money? I'm trying to figure out as it seems to have slipped any attention, just knowing a few local places who used it fraudulently yet have no repercussions to date tells me this is probably a nationwide problem. Interesting question. I, I and I wouldn't say because I know there is rules to it, yeah. uh, and and I, there was rules from the federal government and rules from the state of California, and you had to have a certain amount of I'll just say to make this easy decline in your sales or your profits or something to not have to pay it back and keep employees and keep employees yeah. and so forth. So, um, and 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 I do believe without the PPP uh, loans. I think there have been a lot more people unemployed. And even more businesses would have folded. More businesses would fold and so forth. So, and with every, any type of program, there's always going to be some business, somebody that commits frauds, finds some way around it. But overall, I think it was a good program. Now, again, as we talked about all the money in the economy, this was another way that they got money in the economy, but mostly for businesses and to keep people employed. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, it Kind of to echo what you said on the fraudulent part of it. I mean, look what happened with the unemployment benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was people receiving it in jail, kind of, you know, uh, people, I think, in Russia and China that were able to yeah. kind of hack it and take some of the unemployment benefits. There's a lot of fraudulent unemployment claims. So anytime you do this mass type, 
I'm going to call it a government handout. Right. There's going to be examples of fraud. Right. It's just just the the reality of it. And and this is something. Don't get me wrong. This should. I don't think the PPP should ever really happen again. Right. But with COVID, it was such a unique situation. You will. You have to shut down your business. Yeah. Well, yeah. What do you mean? I have to shut down my. <laughs> I can't open my doors for business right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, it was a way to kind of keep things going without keeping things going. So I think it was a necessary action, but uh, there, there's just going to be fraud. And I think, you know, clearly we spent trillions of dollars, kind of set us back on uh, on the national debt. But I think, as I said, it, it did preserve some businesses. Some businesses did abuse it. I, I do know what Jason's talking about there. But uh, as with many other government programs, there's always going to be yeah. fraud, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's a shame to say, but there's fraud in the welfare system. There's yeah. fraud in uh, disability. I mean, there's there's fraud all over because the systems are so huge. Yeah. I mean, it's not like 10 or 20 people. It's, it's you know, many times millions of people. You're going to have people that somehow got through the system and uh, that's going to happen. And the best thing that we can do is like when you find that, report it to somebody and hopefully they can shut that down. But yep. I think overall it was a success because of, and, and I never thought a, a year ago or probably a year and a half ago that they could ever force businesses to close, but somehow they did. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of kept things going. And also for an employer, it kept you so you could kind of pay your employees, even though you were not bringing revenue in. Yeah. So that was helpful. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? My question is about Nike NKE. I'm just wondering if the supply chain issue made that a buy stock. Well, let's take a look at it. And, and again, a lot of companies have been uh, affected by that. They can't get the products to market because they can't get them to the warehouse and so forth. So let's take a look at the numbers on Nike. Symbol is NKE. Uh, no concern on the short ratio, and actually they're in the industry of footwear and accessories. Uh, percent shares float is only 1.2%, so no short, short issues there. 83.1%, that's the institutional ownership. Looking at the valuations, we see, wow, high P.E. ratio here of 41.8 versus 37.8 for the industry. Price of sales also expensive, 5.5 versus 3.2. Price of tangible book value, 18.1. That is good. It's about half the industry at 39.8 and price of cash flow checks in at 37 versus 23.9. Now looking at the growth on the company, we do see that their earnings growth uh, year over year uh, was uh, 123.1% versus 141.6 for the industry. A lot of growth on the earnings for the one year, uh, five year about 11.2 versus 11.8. We do see here that the sales were up 23.7 uh, versus 18.5, so they beat it there. And then we see on the five-year sales growth, uh, 6.9 versus 8.7. Uh, we also see here, my, my computer's kind of like freezing up on me here. Okay, I'm trying to scroll down here. Here we go. Uh, we, do, we do see on the dividend yield, it's only 0.7%, same as the industry. I'm surprised it takes 28.6% of their earnings to pay that out. That's a pretty high one there. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, uh, current ratio, 3.2 versus 2.7. That is good. Uh, they only have about 1.3% uh, is intangible assets versus 3.9. Debt to equity is 90%, same as the industry. Net profit margin, 13.2. That is above the industry at 8.6. And return to equity, very good, 42.4 versus 39.4. Chase, what about going forward for Nike? 
Yeah, so current price here for Nike, $158.01, 52-week high, $174.38, and the 52-week low, $118.80. Uh, Year-to-date, the stock's uh, it's done okay. It's only up about 12.3%. Uh, I'm guessing maybe it's been kind of hampered by the uh, the supply chain potential issues that, that a lot of these companies are facing as retailers. Um, but I, I do look forward on the stock, and I, I'm not too impressed. I mean, I go out to May 2023, see estimated earnings per share of $4.73. Gives us a target sell price of $78.52. Oh, wow. Trades at a current forward PE of over 33 times. I mean, it, it, it's expensive. And I mean, the, it is looking for more growth. Like I look at, uh, you know, 2023, they're estimated to have year over year growth of about 34% in earnings. Uh, you know, go out even a year for, further, 2024, they're looking at $5.57 would be 17.8%. But I'm just kind of sitting here curious, where is that, that type of growth coming from? I know they had issues last year, but Nike is such a big company. I, I don't know if they're maybe expanding more internationally. Um, I'd be very curious on on how they're going to achieve those growth targets. Yeah, and I think a lot of people pay up for the price of this here, Wayne, and, and, and I just don't think, and again, it's a well-known name, but you're paying a very lofty premium for them. So we, we, we don't like it at these levels. It's very expensive. And I forgot, you said you own it or looking at buying it? No, I was looking to buy it about yeah. buying it. I guess I'll look at Reebok. There we go. Reebok and uh, some other names there yeah. as well. Puma, you know, Adidas, you know, there's a lot of money that. Yeah. Under Armour, Under Armour doesn't have the same kind of name it used to, but. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah, Under Armour was on sale, oh, probably, uh, I think, six months ago. So, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe somebody calling about Under, Under Armour. Wayne, thank you very much. Good talking to you. Have a good day. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye. All right. That does op- open up the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. Chase, we went talking about the supply line and, and so forth. So I thought we'd talk about the Port of Los Angeles, which uh, to help ease the supply chain bottleneck is going to be working 24-hour shifts, seven days a week. Now, I believe this is a step in the right direction to help ease the 70-plus container ships that are sitting off the coast of Los Angeles and Long Beach. However, in my opinion, this does create another problem. I mean, as you know, there's a, a trucking shortage. So once the ships are unloaded, will there be enough trucks and truckers to transport the goods to warehouses? I mean, I'm happy to see the movement in the right direction, but there's still more to do to solve the problem. And and one thing that we've kind of seen now is like, yeah, we're going to open the ports 24-7. But the, the head of it said, well, it's not just like a light switch. We can't just be like, right. okay, we're open. Yeah, tomorrow. Said, yeah, yeah, and it, it looks like they're, as of yesterday, they didn't kind of meet that 24-7. I don't know when it's actually going to start functioning 24-7. And you do hear a lot of different uh, talk about it. I've heard that it could take as long as three months to get to that 24-7 time frame. Because again, you are dealing with the union. The union has to do certain things. Also too, you got to find the people. We know there's a labor shortage. um, So you can't find those people. Uh, There's just different things going on that makes it difficult. when you're trying to do this and it can't be again, okay, tomorrow we're going to start doing this. No, you, you can't do it that quickly. Yeah. I mean, uh, just kind of point out the, the executive director there said a timeline for when the schedule change will actually take effect remains unclear. And I, I do want to say it, it's, it's not all on the ports. Right. And no. it's not like, oh, well, they're seeing a lot less shipping and now they're still having these problems. I, I mean, a lot of people don't realize the port of Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach account for about 40% of all of our nation's imports. Wow. And the Port of Los Angeles actually recorded the busiest year in its 114-year history. 
This year? This year. Yeah. So I, it's been a huge, huge increase. I mean, kind of give you some numbers. The Port of Los Angeles has been averaging more than 900,000 container units for the past 14 consecutive months. Wait, 900,000 container units per month? Yeah. That's a lot. of. That's oh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. And as of Thursday, the port processed more than 8.1 million units for the year, up 26.4% from last year amid a surge in consumer demand. So again, it, it's not... Oh, these ports are doing nothing. I mean, I think they're just overwhelmed, and we we do know that uh, people are consuming, but we just don't have, I'm going to say, the infrastructure right now, and we didn't, right. I think, plan accordingly to, to be set up for this. So it, as the port director said, it, it's not like you can just flip the switch and be like, okay, problem solved. Right, and the other problem we have, too, is that in California, which, again, you said 40% of the shipping goes into California, is that there's a lot of restrictions on trucking. I mean, there's age restrictions, yeah. driving restrictions, certain times and so forth. Uh, and, and it is kind of funny. I, I think you have to be at least 21 to drive a truck in California for that reason. However, you can join the military and go fight for our country and risk your life that way. And again, there are some 18-year-olds that will say, I don't want them behind even a car. Yeah. But there's other good ones. I mean, you have tests and so forth. Let the younger People come in and say, hey, you can you can drive truck and you got test to pass and so forth. Uh, and some of the rules I've heard are very restrictive uh, when it comes to driving now, which really hurts that you may have some truckers could do more. But nope, can't do more because it's, I don't know, five in the morning or some crazy rules they have in California. And just to circle this back to inflation real quick is this is a supply issue, which is limiting supply. And as we talk about retail sales, very, very strong. The consumer yep. has money. Demand is high. This is why I I don't, unless we get the supply chain fixed, I mean, inflation, I think, is still going to be seeing that 5 6% level over the coming months until this gets resolved. And I, I'm very curious to see what happens during the holiday season with inflation if oh, yeah. we have a very, very strong holiday. Yep, yep. And I, I'm confident we will have a strong yep. holiday. And I think... And I'm one of those late shoppers as well. I'll be with the late guy going through like, okay, I guess you guys are all getting cash this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I was going to go to Steve and Ranch Bonato, but I see uh, Harrison, our financial planner, is online holding. So let's go to talk to Harrison first before we go to Steve. Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys. Good morning. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm very excited to hear today you're talking about the details of your life insurance. Now, not yours, but people's life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, Harrison so, doesn't sell uh, life insurance. Why right. want to give that caveat? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So what happened here is I was meeting with some clients recently, um, and they were telling me that they had purchased some universal life insurance policies years back for the bring their uh, long-term care needs. Um, there was a rider in there that if they needed elder care, that they would be able to access some funds to help pay for those costs. So. Um, that's, it's called a hybrid policy. There's some policies out there that do similar things, but, um, I reviewed the policies and I didn't see these riders. So, um, I did see a terminal illness rider, but that's different. Basically a lot of insurance policies have that. There's usually no cost for it. And saying if you're going to die within 12 months, you can benefit before you actually die. That's different than a chronic illness rider, which usually costs money, additional money, and um, it allows you to access funds to pay for elder care um, and, and those types of things. So uh, I had these clients reach out to the company and that issued the life insurance and ask for an Ill enforced illustration that has updated information on the policy. And yeah, there's no long-term care benefit of any kind in there. And so 
what the insurance company came back with is they said that at underwriting, they did not qualify for the long-term care rider portion of it. They got the regular death benefit, but they didn't get the long-term care portion of it. So basically, they've been spending thousands of dollars on this policy thinking that it was going to help them provide long-term care benefits, but it's not at all in any way, actually. So um, this is something that is a, you know, a huge shock to them because that was really the only reason they bought it in the first place. Uh, so you really need to understand what you actually own because it might not do um, what it's going to say it, it, uh, it does. And Harrison, as uh, financial planning clients, I mean, this is one thing you do for the, the clients. You actually analyze the policies because, again, sometimes they may not need life insurance. You may find things like this where they think they have something, but they actually don't. Very important in financial planning to kind of analyze those policies. And I want to say, too, Harrison, is, I mean, when you're a life insurance salesperson, you don't have a fiduciary responsibility, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, as long as those people sign the contract, I mean, in theory, it, it's suitable for them. They sign the contract. There, there's no real repercussions that they can take. It's like, well, I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, you signed the paperwork. Is that that's, correct? That's exactly right. You don't, you don't need to be a fiduciary to sell life insurance. Um, all you need is a life and health insurance license, and then you need to be affiliated with some company and you can sell these products. And so um, in, in this case, the agent who, or the broker who sold this life insurance either didn't know about these people's needs and the reasoning behind this, or they just didn't care. Um, because when you sell life insurance, the process is you go out and you meet with people, you write the policy up, you get the people to sign it or whatever, and that's actually the purchase of it. But then those clients have to go through underwriting, which means a, a doctor or a nurse or somebody comes out and um, gives them a little health test, uh, blood and urine, and, and takes their vitals and all that stuff. And then those results get sent to a lab. And then, the you know, so it, it's kind of a process to go through the whole thing. And so it might take a month or two between the actual writing of the insurance policy and then getting the results back from the insurance company saying, yes, you're approved and here's what you're approved for. So what might have happened is two months after writing the policy, the agent who wrote it um, says, okay, they got approved. They got approved for this, but not that. Okay, I'm going to mail it out to them and I'm going to move on. Well, again, the whole reason they were doing this was for the long-term care portion, which they did not qualify for based on the underwriting. And the life insurance agent they don't care. They make their commission. They can move on and be happy. Um, but meanwhile, the clients really get screwed over because now they're paying for something that they don't have any type of need for, and they're they're totally in the dark about um, what the benefits actually look like. And Harrison, I know I know there are good insurance agents out there. There are ones that either are inexperienced or don't care or are just selling for the commission. I know you do work with your clients when they do have an insurance uh, person. Actually, work with the good ones, obviously, because you don't sell the insurance. But it is a shame. It's something you got to check, and that's what a good financial planner does, check to make sure you're not getting. I was going to say, how, how long are these insurance contracts? I mean, it's it's not something that somebody can easily read and, as you kind of said, find that. So, I mean, you've been looking at many, many different insurance policies, so you know where to look, but the average person probably doesn't know where to find this stuff. I mean, how long are these? Um, well, the initial policy itself or the initial contract itself might be, it's not as bad as annuities, but um, life insurance, it might be 30 pages or something like that. And most of it is all just jargon. Um, but again, this could have been the difference between a terminal illness benefit and a chronic illness benefit where, you know, you might not know the difference. You might think it's the same thing. Okay, yeah, I got the rider. Okay, great. But 
that doesn't mean what you think it does. So it's knowing the complexities of how these policies work. Um, and again, I, I, I have no conflict of interest in this. If it needs to provide something, okay, great. If it doesn't, I'll tell you about it, and let's find now a better way to, to solve the situation. Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much uh, for spending your time this morning. Uh, we'll see you Monday morning. You have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our CFP at Wilsey Asset Management. Again, he's on a salary. He does not sell product or commissions. If you want to talk to Harrison for that free consultation, uh, you can do two things. Give him a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send an email right there. Set up a time with him. Again, your first consultation to find out more about what he does is free. So give him a call. Sit down with you. Doesn't talk. Doesn't cost anything for that. All right. Phone numbers here. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Rancho Bernardo and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Hey, Brent Chase. Nice to hear from you guys. Uh, uh, first of all, thanks to Harrison for coming on. I'm only 40, but I love the info on, you know, life insurance policies. My folks are at the age now where they're looking at all that stuff, and uh, I'd love to be able to help them out, just or at least be in the know a little bit about what's going on with some of that stuff. Uh, so I love the segment, even though it doesn't always apply to me directly. Uh, my question is shifting gears completely from that, though. Um, <laughs> I had invested in Middlesex Water Company, which is uh, M6, way back when I lived in Jersey um, in college 15 years ago. And I made really good returns on that. I kind of, at the time, had a little extra money and took the, if you can't beat them, join them approach because I was tired of paying bills to them, even though relatively to Southern California, it was so cheap. Um, I like the returns, and I'm looking for other bait like that. Um, I've been looking at AWK and SJW, two, uh, two other private water companies, and I'm wondering just your opinion in general on the industry, and then if you have time, those two in particular. Okay. We'll take a look at uh, SJW. That is their symbol. They are in the utilities regulated water industry. Uh, not much float on this company, 1.2%. Uh, 77.5% institutional ownership there. Uh, now, the PE ratio is kind of high at 31.5, but the whole industry is over 100 on the PE ratio. Price of sales are expensive, 3.5 versus 1.6. Price of tangible book value is 6.2, which is very reasonable compared to the industry at 30.2. And price of cash flow looks good as well, 14.2, half the industry at 28.8. I also like to see a good peg ratio here, which they do have 4.6 versus 44.1. So it tells you you're not spending very much for the future growth of this company. Now, look at how they've done the past year. Their earnings are up one year, 45%, about the same as the industry of 52.2. They seem like they've struggled on the five-year average, down 4.3, while the industry was positive 6.2. Sales a year uh, for the one year up 2.5% versus 1.2. Five-year average, much better, 10.3%, the sales growth versus 4.7. Now, they do pay a, a dividend here. 2% is what they pay. Not thrilled with the payout ratio, 60.6. It's not bad, but at 2% uh, dividend, I would like to see it a little bit lower or a higher dividend. 
Look at the balance sheet. We got a current ratio of 0.5 versus 1.5. Now, this could be a problem. This would worry me on liquidity that perhaps they don't have enough liquidity to pay their current bills. And they do have a high debt to equity of 1.6, not quite as high as the industry of 1.9, but still with that low current ratio and that high debt to equity, that does worry me somewhat. And I do see a high intangibles, 19.5% of their assets are intangibles versus 15 for the industry. They have a net profit margin of 11%, not quite as good as the industry of 14.1. And return on equity is not very good, 6.3 versus 12. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? As a current price here for SJW, $67.92. 52-week high here, $71.69. And the 52-week low, $58.01. Year-to-date, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty much flat. It hasn't really gone anywhere this year. And to be honest, I, I don't know how much it's going to move going forward as well. The stock appears to be quite pricey. Uh, if I look forward to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $2.46. Gives us a target sell price of $40.84. In other words, this company is trading at about 27, 28 times future yeah. earnings. Very, very pricey. We like to sell out when it hits 16.6. And, you know, see, we've tried to find a water company for years because I think it's a very interesting yeah. industry. But I think it's just been years of being overpriced. I mean, you look over the three-year return, it's only up 23% over the last three years. So it just seems like the stock's not going to go anywhere. And it could be one that maybe doesn't fall dramatically, but I just don't think the appreciation would be there. Yeah, and Steve, as Chase said, I mean, the, the, the water companies are just not on sale. Now, it'd be nice if we could find like a water company like we found like a year ago where the energy companies were. But right now, everybody knows about them, everybody wants them. Very hard to find one that's on sale. Uh, wouldn't discourage you from keep looking, but it's gonna be hard to find one that doesn't have some big problems. It'd be nice to find one if it was having like a temporary problem where, you know, maybe one of their, their water plants was contaminated or something. And you know, I don't wish that upon anyone by <laughs> no, any means. That's probably that, like, a bad right, example, right, right, right. but uh, or one of their water plants, you know, uh, had to get shut down yeah. for some reason. It got knocked out by, uh, you know, uh, some type of... Gosh, I'm just coming yeah. up with... Yeah, I know, I'm I know, just I saying like, natural <laughs> disaster. I don't want that either, but I hope you catch my drift there, Steve, that, you know, it's, it yeah, has a yeah. temporary problem, and yeah. since the stock price lowered, that could create a buying opportunity, but right now, it's just hard to find well-valued. Uh, an equipment malfunction. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm just pessimistic this morning, I guess. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I appreciate your guys' candid responses as always. Love the show, and, and thanks again for your time. Well, Steve, thanks for calling. Don't be a stranger, and uh, be sure to tell your friends and neighbors about the show as well. I definitely do. All right, that sounds good. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye -bye. Take care, boys. Bye. All right, bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three. We've got all phone lines open. Uh, Chase, since we have a, a minute here, I'm glad we get a, a quick minute here to talk about uh, the PPI came out this uh, last week oh, here. Yeah. And another month, another record PPI. And PPI stands for Producer Price Index. Producer prices climbed by 8.6% September compared to the prior year, which marked the sixth consecutive record. Prices were up 0.5% compared to August with 40% of the increase coming from a 2.8% climb in prices for final energy demand. And the, the CPI, which is a consumer price index, in September saw an increase of 
4%. So uh, again, uh, uh, also a climb there, which com- which compared to August. And year over year, it was up 5.4%. This matched the highest growth since January 1991. I mean, this inflation sure is starting to look a lot less transitory. And uh, again, I, I'm going to point out the prices of energy. Right. I mean, the, these companies are having to pay for the transportation costs. And well, we talk about the, the bottleneck of labor, but also those transportation companies are having to pay more for energy. Well, they're saying, well, our, our bottom line is being impacted. We're going to have to raise the cost of transportation. Well, then the company saying, well, now I'm paying more for transportation. I'm going to have to raise my prices. Talked about utilities earlier in the show. I just looked at a water uh, utility, yeah. for example, there as well. Go. Well, prices of utilities go up. Again, it impacts the bottom line for businesses. They say, well... Gosh, that sucks. No, they say I'm gonna have to increase prices to offset right. that. So I, I just continue to say I, I don't think this is going to be transitory. And it, they keep saying it, and I think uh, they really pulled off on it. <laughs> I think it's funny actually. There was the Fed in Atlanta. I forget the. I think his name is Bostic. Is the, the gentleman that runs it? Okay. And he created a swear jar. A what? A swear jar. Swear jar. Okay. <laughs> but transitory was on the swear jar. Because anytime somebody in his office uses transitory, <laughs> they have to put a dollar in because he doesn't think it's transitory. Right, right. And, and, and again, I think we're seeing less and less. I don't hear that term as much. Yeah. Um, I do know, I believe the Fed talked about uh, reducing their tapering, I believe, now in November. I remember like six months ago, oh, it's going to be in 2022. Now they're going to start about starting it uh, actually next month already. So because they know that this inflation thing is hard to deal with. You've got, again, the rising cost of energy. You got the rising cost of labor. You've got a lot of money out there chasing these goods. And we, we said this before, we knew this was gonna happen. Too much money chasing too few goods. You can't help but have inflation because I'm the same way. Like, I want the product. I don't care what I gotta pay for it. Just give it to me. Yeah. And that's what happens, a lot of money. Well, let me throw a curveball at you. Sure. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, could be replaced. That is coming up here and it could be announced over yeah. the coming weeks, maybe next month. Um, you know, there, there's some some rumors that uh, he might be replaced. I guess the the bets right now have him staying in office as right. the Fed chair, but uh, I I think that could just be a huge mistake to replace him at this time, kind of considering what's going on with the economy. And and, and I don't know what the current administration is going to feel on that because you know Powell has done a, a, a very good job, but President Biden did not put him in there. Mm-hmm. He may want somebody else that kind of favors more what he does. Like, no, no, let's not, let's not taper yet. Let's, not, you know, it would be a terrible decision to make. That's that would cause inflation. That would cause even more inflation. And the problem with inflation, and, and this goes back to when the the seventies and eighties with Paul Volcker, to where it got way out of control. We can still control this thing, but if you start, if you replace Powell, and you put in some guy that says, no, no, it's or woman, it's or woman. Brainerd is uh, the favorite if Powell's out. Do you know anything about her philosophies at all? I, I do not. Uh, more dovish. More dovish, okay. So if if she were to say, no, no, we don't need to taper, and then inflation gets so bad, we could have then a, a major recession building up down the road because you, you let it go too long, and then the medicine you'd have to take to fix it would be very, very painful. Which was what Volcker did, which yeah. I think he increased rates Percent, in yeah. several percent, very very quickly. I, I I believe that the prime rate, and this is going to shock a lot of people. I'm I'm pretty close. I believe the prime rate hit like close to twenty, if not twenty, back then, yeah. and they moved up very very quickly. It was very painful. 
Uh, and it's because things just got way out of hand. And yeah. again, we can if, if uh, Powell stays in and starts doing the tapering, it's not going to feel as good. We'll see some things that don't feel as good, but it's not going to be a major pain like if it wait much longer. So I'm hoping that the administration realize, well, that's probably not good for the country. Uh, let's not get that runaway inflation because then he would have the same situation where Jimmy Carter was like, oh, Jimmy Carter, terrible president. Yeah. You know? I yeah. I don't know. I, I'm optimistic, but uh, I'm also pessimistic because, yeah. you know, it seems like this administration wants to just cancel everything that, uh, you know, President Trump did. And, you know, Powell was a Trump appointee. And it's like, well, we, Trump appointed him. I want to move on. I, so, yeah, I hope that's not the case. And I, I, I do worry that a lot of progressives, yeah. they, they want Powell out, like Elizabeth Warren, the squad, including yeah. AOC. They want Powell out and they want somebody that is actually more progressive that actually targets more green energy and i don't know how yeah. that plays into the fed but that that's that's kind of what's going on right now so i that is something that i i do think people need to be on watch for right is it, it could really create some volatility in the markets and again i'm not telling you to sell right. everything because it could happen but you need to prepare yourself for it or you could see a correction if something happens to, to fetch your pal there. And I'm wondering on the squad, how many of them have financial or economic degrees? I mean, do they know anything about it at all? I mean, uh, one thing we do know, our, our, our friend Richard Bailey, who is the uh, mayor of Coronado, um, he is running for Congress, and he has a degree, uh, economics. He teaches Economics teacher. Yeah, economics teacher for what, USD or something, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I wish we had more people in the government that understood economics because you just can't keep doing this. And again, the AOCs of the world, I mean, um, they're progressive. You can be progressive and still say, wait a minute, we can't do this because economically yeah. it's going to destroy the country. And then nobody wins. So, yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I know it is, it's coming up here and I, it just seemed like it's not getting the, the coverage that it, it should be. And I guess yeah. it's because the Fed chair, it's not a very exciting thing, but <laughs> right. it, it's, it's pretty big in terms of, I mean, actually it, it's the head of the Fed, which controls interest rates, which controls really the money supply at the end of the day, not, not directly, but indirectly. Yeah. Uh, do you know when his time is up or when his, I believe um, it's the beginning of next year. Um, like January? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that, that kicks off in February, but uh, I know his term does end next year. Okay. I don't know if it's in, as I said, the beginning of the year or if it's kind of first quarter. I don't know the exact time frame, but I, I do know it's early next year. Yeah. So you got to expect an announcement here. Uh, many times it happens in October, November. Right. And, and we'll be sharing with that show because we'll be watching for it and so forth. We'll share with our listeners what is going on, uh, what direction it goes. And again, we, we're not very happy if Paul is going to be replaced it's uh, uncertainty. I, yeah, the, the uncertainty. Yeah, so th there's a lot of things going on that are uncertain right now as, as it is. But um, And again, I, I have to reemphasize this. Do not make a sales <laughs> or you. any sales in your, in your thing. Oh, because Brett and Chase are worried about Fed Chair Powell. Don't sell stocks because of that. Just I want to warn people that volatility is going to happen. We haven't had much volatility. Yeah. This could create that volatility as long as you own good businesses. They may go down if something happens to Fed Chair Powell, but if you own the right business, don't worry about it long term. Exactly. All right. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, uh, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along with investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing Brent and Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We're back next week. Have a great weekend, and we'll be here next week. I did all that And may I say Not in a shop This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.